0: Well, here we go. Next recording and uh, welcome to Eternal Rewards and this is uh, session number nine and we're looking at the judgments even Christ of Christ and it's part two and uh, the more I've studied it the more I realize there is for us to learn about it and uh, in the last series we've been looking at the different eternal rewards that God has made available. We saw they could be summarized under eternal... um, uh, eternal glory, eternal intimacy, eternal authority and responsibility. So um, I want to just recap again what the judgment seat of Christ is. And then I want to look then at what is God looking for? Because obviously it's one thing to know there's rewards, another thing to know that he's going to evaluate us. But what would it be that he's looking for? And uh, we started in the last session when we did the first session on um, Uh, the judgment seat of Christ, we looked at God looks very much at the motivation, not just our works, but the why we did them. And we saw the necessity of having an intimate, pure heart, uh, that there's a purity in our motives. that's an ongoing journey, of course. So, okay, let's just get this one started then. And uh, we'll go back and just review again, what is the judgment seat of Christ? And uh, we found in uh, two key verses, Romans 14, verse 10 to 12, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ then every one of us or each of us shall give account of himself to God. And then we saw in the second uh, passage on that, 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or whether bad. So every believer then has an appointment with the, at the judgment seat of Christ. We all have an appointment to meet with him and what's in view for us is not whether we have a life with him forever what's in view for us is what level uh, what in what way do we qualify for rewards that would go on for eternity and so the key issue then is qualifying for eternal rewards, and so we saw that at the judgment seat of Christ what's at stake now is our service as a believer, how we've lived and how we've walked with the Lord. There are no exceptions, everyone will be there, we'll all be there, <laughs> and uh, we saw that the judgment seat of Christ uh, refers to a um, judicial platform uh, in, the, uh, in the Bible days that was either used uh, for a judge to sit on and make decisions about something, or was used for sports for the judges to rule whether the competitor had uh, competed according to the rules and therefore qualified for reward. So we saw that uh, Jesus will judge us or evaluate our service based on what we have done, And that word done was what we have practiced continually. So he's looking at the lifestyle and the arc or direction of our life. And the outcome is rewards. Matthew 16, 27, but the son of man will come in the glory of his father with his angels, and he will reward each one according to his works. So no matter where we are, no matter who we are, if we're a believer, we have this appointment with Jesus. We will be called to give account of the works that we have done. So that raises then, well, what is God looking for? How does God judge the works of every believer? Now, actually, you haven't really been able to find anything much written around this area. So I've taken a little bit of time to study through. And uh, I want to then look at some things that I think that God will use or take into account when he's judging our works. Uh, We saw in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, don't judge anything before the time till the Lord comes who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and reveal the counsel or motivations of the heart. And then we'll either receive praise or lack of praise from the Lord. So I want to then look then on the basis that all of us are called to a lifestyle of serving, a lifestyle of of, uh, honoring God by serving Him. And we saw that was part of our sonship. As sons, we're called to be intimate with our Father. We're called to serve Him and expand His kingdom as His representative. And we're called to grow and be transformed. So there are many scriptures that talk about the importance of our works and the reward for our works. So then, let's have a look then at what then God is going to take into account. Now, with all of these studies, you find it's never found in just one place. You really do have to look all over the place. You've got to read and read and hunger and search. So I found a number of things, and I'm going to just list them for you now, so that we've got the list. There may be more I haven't thought of, and there were others that came to mind, but I think this really does cover it, and I'm going to list each of the things God looks for in our lives, and I'll give you a scripture reference for it, and then we'll pick up maybe one or two of them and look through them, okay? So what will God take into account? I think number one, um, our alignment with his will and purpose. Our alignment with his will and purpose. And we saw that in Matthew 7:21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. So notice Jesus all through his ministry made it very clear he was aligned with his father. He did what he saw the father doing. He actually must have then spent time in intimacy to hear and have revelation what the father called him to do. So the first one then is our alignment with his will and purpose, Matthew 7, 21 to 23. And alignment with God comes out of intimacy. There's got to be time of worship and prayer and time in his word, talking with him, listening to him, and also out of surrender to him. We need uh, revelation from him if we're going to be aligned with what he wants us to do. So success doesn't uh, come from just doing achieving many things, assess comes from discovering what God called us to do and we at the end of our life have pursued and faithfully done that. So alignment with the will and purpose of God and that means we need revelation how God wants to build. Otherwise we can in all sincerity build but how we're building and what we're building is actually not aligned with him in any way. Uh, Secondly, our motivation. We saw that in the last week's study. Our motivation Having a pure heart, having an intimate heart, and now a pure heart. And we saw in one Corinthians thirteen, verse three. Jesus said, though I uh, Paul wrote, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. And we saw also in Luke six thirty five Jesus teaching, love your enemies, do good, lend. Here it is, with no hidden agenda, not hoping for anything in return. And then he says, your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and the, and the evil. So what he's saying then is that it's not just what we do, why we do it is very important. And Jesus constantly, as we remember, rebuked the Pharisees because everything they did was done with a hidden motivation of promoting themselves. He said, don't be like the Pharisees when you pray, they pray to be seen in men. Don't be like the Pharisees when you fast, they fast and make a fuss of it in front of everyone. Don't be like the Pharisees when you give, let your giving be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward openly. So I think God constantly looks at the why you do things, and the last week we saw how many activities we do can be completely uh, there we go we're still there can be completely dead works because there's no uh, faith in them. They're coming out of uh, fear, they're coming out of guilt, they're coming out of uh, an agenda, they're coming out of every kind of reason except uh, what God wants us to come out with. Looking at our, at our motivation is one of purity of heart. So, it's the third thing um, that I believe God looks for uh, is our faithfulness. And we hope we're going to look at that in one of the studies today. In Matthew 25. Uh, which is part of a sequence of parables where Jesus is talking about the end times, about his return. He starts with the wise and faithful servant in Matthew 24, then the five wise and five foolish virgins in Matthew 25. Now then he goes on to talk about the, the parable of the, uh, the talents. And uh, in the parable of the talents, in Matthew 25, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many into the joy of your Lord. So very clearly, God looks for faithfulness, and we'll come and study this in a bit more uh, detail in the study. Uh, So there's no limit to our faithfulness. Every person can choose to be faithful. It's got nothing to do with your gift. It's got entirely to do with your character and the way you handle the tasks that are assigned to you, whether you complete them, whether you're reliable, whether you do them when you're supposed to, the way you're supposed to do them on time, and so on. So everyone can be faithful. And he's saying, as we look into the story a little bit later, uh, we'll see that faithfulness is commended by God. Not only that, in 1 Corinthians 4, I think around about verse uh, 3, it says it's required of servants they must be found faithful. To find someone faithful means you're looking for that quality. We have to be found after inspection. We've been faithful to what God called us to do. And so faithfulness is developed by serving with excellence and persevering through difficulties. And uh, the fourth quality I believe that God is looking for is the quality of diligence. So with faithfulness, if we're a five-talent person and uh, we can get the same reward as a person with two talent or one talent, God just takes into account not what we have, but what we did with what we had. So equal, equal faithfulness, equal reward. And uh, the, the, the next thing is, is God looks at our diligence. Diligence means I really apply myself and my life is given over to this task and so in luke chapter 19 and verse 17 again it's a parable and this time it's a parable of the servants and the pounds or, or miners and uh he says uh well done good and faithful servant you are faithful over very little have authority over 10 cities so everyone in that story got one pound or one miner everyone got the same amount at the beginning but one of them earned 10 miners made a huge profit One earned five, one hid it away. And so we find that the one who earned 10, he's put in authority over 10 cities. The one who earned five, put in authority over five cities. Again, if we get time, we'll look into that study in detail today. So notice there, greater diligence, greater reward. So it really helps if you understand then, whatever our status in life, whatever our gifts, experience, wherever we're at, if we are faithful, then we have equal opportunity, equal reward, If we're more diligent than the person next to us, then God will honor the fact we were more diligent. And that makes sense that someone who's faithful, someone who's very diligent, someone who's highly productive for the Lord, that God will acknowledge that in some kind of way. It's got nothing to do with whether you're a preacher or any kind of role you have. Every servant of the Lord can function because our functions mostly are in the realm of life and in the community. The, the next one is a really interesting one, and that is the opportunity given. God takes into account the opportunity we've been given. And we find that in the, um, uh, the parable of the servants in, uh, in the vineyard, the workers in the vineyard in Matthew 20. And uh, these are, I've outlined the study in the notes. We may not get to it though. Uh, now, Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So notice then, opportunities vary from one person to another so a person who's saved when they're younger has a lot more opportunity than a person saved when they're older Uh, people who have uh, uh, who may be in a certain nation may have greater opportunities Uh, whatever the opportunities we have God takes that into account and uh, if we get to the story in Matthew chapter 20 you'll find that uh, different workers came into the vineyard to work at different times they had different amount of opportunity and God took into account the opportunity they had. So even the man who had worked all day received the same reward as the man who came in and did work or did the best he could, or was faithful in what he could at the latter season of the day. And so God accounts the two, both getting the same reward. And uh, the servants argue with him over that and think that's not very right. But he said, no, uh, I agreed to do this and that's what will happen. So God is very just God. So even if we have not much opportunity, Uh, If our opportunities are more restricted and limited, God still takes that into account. He's looking at the bigger picture, faithfulness, diligence, and motivation. Here's another thing that uh, is very clear that God takes into account. All of us have struggles. There's no one of us doesn't have a struggle. We all have things to overcome. And the battles most of us fight to overcome something are in private and secret, seen only by God. And it's very clear that Jesus will reward us according to what we've overcome and we see that in revelations 2 chapter 2 and chapter 3 where he makes promises to the overcomers an overcomer has faced a challenge and over a period of time has overcome it and maintained overcoming it and they qualify for reward revelations 3 to him who overcomes i will grant with him to sit with me in my throne as i also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne so overcomers are promised specific rewards. so clearly someone who has stood, held on to the word of God, had some ups and downs, but eventually prevailed and overcame uh, some of the challenges in life, uh, then uh, it's appropriate that God acknowledges that. So uh, we're told in another place in James, uh, blessed is the man who endures temptation. After he's been tried, he'll receive the crown of life. So overcomers are promised rewards for overcoming a whole range of things. You can read them in Revelations 2 and verse three and chapter 3. Uh, cold love, where our heart goes cold and uh, we need to return to our first love. So maintaining a passionate heart is something that requires us to overcome coldness, indifference, the lukewarmness, Uh, where we're called to overcome persecution. So when we're opposed, when people resist us, when people attack us, when we're given a hard time, Uh, It's very easy to become embittered, discouraged, or or overcome by the adversity we've gone through. There's a reward for those who overcome persecution. Uh, In Revelations 2, it also tells us about the necessity to overcome false doctrine. False doctrine is teachings that are contrary to the true spirit and intent of the Word of God. And uh, they may seem appealing. They may seem very appealing. And they may condone various kinds of things. But we're to overcome false doctrine. And so we need to then be students of the word of God. To do that, we need to study for ourselves what God's word says so we can overcome teachings that are not true. Um, A third thing, or next thing that uh, it refers to in the book of Revelation is overcoming uh, false teachers and prophets. So there are teachers come into the church that look plausible, uh, prophets that come and look plausible, and I'm sure they do love the Lord and have their own relationship with him. But There's something out of alignment in their lives. And so God calls these false teachers, false prophets. Primarily, they're concerned about building their own lives and their own ministry. And we have to watch. We don't get seduced away by the pull that they put on our life and end up uh, away from the course God called us onto. Then it tells us in Revelation 2, it talks about um, the spirit of Jezebel, uh, about in Revelation chapter 2, uh, how there was a woman in the church and she taught and led and, and the, ser- the servants of God astray into immorality and compromise in an idolatrous society. And so, again, that's something we have to overcome. Every one of us has to overcome the, the desire to control or the influence of that spirit, which is very seductive. Uh, He talks also in the book of Revelation about compromise, about entering into compromise, about uh, being uh, lukewarm or complacent. You know, I have this against you. You're you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. And so lukewarmness is uh, prevalent through the Western church. It's something we have to overcome. And uh, that requires that we have engagements with God. We have fresh revelation. We stay passionate in our pursuit of him. So lukewarmness and temptation. So those are some of the things we have to overcome. Uh, I think that another thing that God takes into account is what we've become, what we have become. And uh, we know that the purpose of God in sonship is intimacy and assignments or faithfulness in what we're doing. And also that we're transformed, that we become more like Jesus. So you can check this one out in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and uh, verses 2. maybe about three right through to 11. I'll just read a few of these verses, but he's saying, what he's saying This he's saying, you need to add to your faith. In other words, the foundational faith that we have that gets us saved. He says, now you need to add to that. And what you need to add are all the character qualities and patience and, uh, and, uh, love and, uh, and brotherly love. And he lists a whole number of things that we are to, uh, to build and incorporate into our life. So this is about inward transformation. So our life, is a lo- we become a loving and, a, and a, a humble and a meek person. And so he says in 2 Peter 1 verse 8, if these things are yours and abound or be in you and abound, you'll neither be bar- barren nor unfruitful. So here's a promise. If we let God work in our life to transform us, then we'll never be barren. We'll always be fruitful for the Lord. But he says, if you lack the things, you're short-sighted and can't see. You can't see afar off. And, uh, and then, he, then he gives the exhortation, Brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do all these things, he's referred to, adding and building into your character and life, so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we read in, two, in 1 Corinthians 3 that people could be rewarded, Or they could barely scrape in and everything has been burnt up. There's no work they've done that qualifies for any acknowledgement or reward apart from their salvation by faith in Christ. So this is talking about it again. A similar thing, put a different way. You can have an abundant entrance or you can have a barely gotten entrance. The abundant entrance means abundant honor and glory in the kingdom. A barely gotten entrance means very little honor and glory, which is why there are both small and great in the coming kingdom. So that's very powerful. That would be a whole study of its own to look at uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1. What are the things I need to begin to work on building into my life? What should I be intentional about developing and putting on in my life? Um, And of course, these are done by the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Here's another uh, uh, scripture that God says he will take into account. He says uh, uh, in Matthew 12 verse 36, he said, I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. So the words we speak, the words we speak are the overflow of our heart, the overflow of our life. Our actions are the overflow of our heart, the overflow of our life. And so the words we speak, Jesus said, you're going to take into account all of the words, kind words, loving words, encouraging words, building words, harsh words, critical words, negative words, unbelieving words. And so again, uh, The words we speak will be taken into account. Uh, um, Then the last two things that I felt that I could see God's going to use or bring into account is uh, the the last one, number nine, the second to last one, uh, the revelation God has given us. Uh, The revelation God has given us. I think that we are responsible to grow in revelation, to grow in insight and understanding. But the more God gives to us, the more is expected of us. So I think if you've sat in a church and you've been exposed to great teaching, great revelation, great revelation to be given to you, then a lot more is required of you than the person down the road who got very little revelation and insight, but they walked fully in what they were given. So I think, here's a scripture, Luke 12, verse 48, everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. And from to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. So clearly in that scripture, talking about the servant of the Lord, if, if much has been given to you, then more is required of you. So uh, it's echoed again in James 3 verse 1, where he says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that teachers, or we shall receive a stricter judgment. So you notice there, both of those scriptures seem to indicate that if a lot has been entrusted to us, more is going to be expected of us. Or in other words, as he puts in James, a higher standard is required if you're going to be a teacher of others. So you're not saying don't be a teacher. He's just saying make sure you live up to what you teach. Live out what you're teaching is really what he's saying. If you're saying one thing and living another, a higher standard of judgment will be required. And then the last thing I think will be taken into account is uh, how we have judged others, how we have judged others. James 2 verse 13, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, for mercy triumphs over judgment. So in the course of our life, there are many failings of people around us, and we can either show mercy and compassion to those people, or we can choose to focus on where they've failed or what they've said or done wrong, and then be harsh or demanding on them. And it seems as though God takes into account whether we have walked in mercy or not. And you see that in, say, for example, his teaching in Matthew 18, uh, where he teaches about the servant who was forgiven much. It was expected of him that he would show mercy to the fellow servant. And when he didn't show mercy to the fellow servant, then more was required. There was a whole judgment he went through. So I think that uh, it's a very clear scripture here that in our dealings with people, we need to show the nature of God, show the mercy of God, and that's taken into account when we're judged for what we do. How about that? So I felt in searching the scriptures, that gives, uh, and there's 10 things there, 10 is a complete number, number of completions. So I felt those give a breadth to God's evaluation. We have to remember that God is a just God, and he will judge rightly. He will do what is right. And so at the judgment seat of Christ, he's looking for what is there in you and in your service that I could identify, honor, and then reward in a, mag- in a major way. So that, that gives us a, uh, some, some things that we can take into account then, things we can look at. Uh, going back over them very briefly, the things, uh, how aligned are we with his will and purpose are we intimate and listening and doing what he's called us to do and walking in the revelation he's given? What about our motivation? Is it a motivation of love, a pure no agenda? Are we doing things because we love the Lord and are passionate to uh, show his love to people? Our faithfulness, uh, what are we doing with what opportunities we do have? Are we fulfilling them and doing them, doing them well? Uh, what about our diligence? Uh, how diligent are we in our prayer, our application to what we do? or Are we very casual about it? Um, what about the opportunities? Do we seize opportunities? God will take all of that into account. Uh, what have we overcome? Maybe right now you're facing something you're trying to overcome. God is watching that battle and edging you on, saying there's a great reward if you can overcome and break through that. And that gives us motivation to overcome. And even even if we fall over time and time and time again, just keep getting back up and going forward again, you, we will overcome. Uh, then there are things that we have become. And we saw then it's important that not just that we have a saving faith, but we add to our faith godliness and uh, and brotherly love and, uh, and the love of God and, and various other qualities mentioned in 2 Peter 1. He'll take into account the words we speak, so that means we need to guard what we're saying and the spirit we're speaking in. He'll look at the revelation we're given and take that into account and then how we've judged and treated others. So that gives you then a kind of a, an overview of how God uh, is dealing with us or how God wants to deal with us. Now, what I want to look now is I want to look into, the, into some of these a bit more closely. I've developed them quite well in the notes, but I'll just keep them abbreviated just for the sake of going through them. So I think one of the biggest areas is having a faithful and a loyal heart, a faithful and a loyal heart, because all servants of God are required to be faithful in 1 Corinthians 4.2. We're required to be found faithful. Found means an inquiry into it. Uh, In the book of Revelation 17 verse 14, those who are with the Lamb are called, they're chosen, and they're faithful. And so you'll find the word faithful constantly comes through the Bible. And uh, particularly in the New Testament, it's very strong on faithfulness. Not so much on giftedness, but faithfulness. Gifts, God gives you, it's your job to value them, to develop them. But faithfulness, every person can be faithful. And so faithful means, what does it mean? It means to be reliable, steadfast, predictable. You fulfill your responsibilities. You can be relied on. It's a personal choice. And uh, faithfulness is in many areas of life, but it's uh, Luke 16 and 10 to 13. It teaches be faithful in the little things. If you're faithful in little, you will be in much. Faithful in money, handling of money. Luke 16, 10, 11, 12, 13. Be faithful in your handling and management of finances and also be faithful in serving someone else. So often people are using someone else to get themselves ahead rather than seeing actually that very motivation will stop God promoting them. We need instead to serve others and help them succeed. And in doing that, God lifts us up and promotes us. It's obviously faithfulness is a hard thing to find. In Proverbs 26 and verse 6, it says, most men will proclaim his own goodness, but a faithful man, who could you find? (laughs) So everyone talks about how good they are but who, uh, who's actually a faithful man who's doing something to bring honor to someone else. So Timothy was very like that. And the Bible tells us that God is looking all through the earth to find people who are, are faithful and loyal to him. So uh, loyalty is a, is a kind of a slightly different word. Loyal means to be, uh, un, uh, to be continuing or unswerving in your faithfulness and allegiance. So regardless of difficulties or regardless of hardships, you remain committed to serve the Lord. So that's a loyal heart. When God doesn't seem to come through and you remain true to Him, that's a loyal heart. And it says in 2, Chron- 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord go through the, uh, through the, to and fro through the earth looking for someone whose heart's loyal to Him. So loyal, to have divided loyalties means I'm loyal to the Lord, but also loyal to every other things. And now there's a conflict between my loyalties. So, Having a loyal heart means I maintain Jesus is first in my life over and above every other relationship, every other uh, situation, every other thing. And then I remain loyal to him, even if there are pressures around me in those areas. So Jesus himself exemplified faithfulness. He's, t- he's reported in Hebrews 3 verse 6, he was faithful over his house and uh, we see at the end of his ministry in John seventeen 4, I've honored you. I finished the work you gave me to do. So Jesus remained faithful and remained loyal. Now you see this outplayed in a parable of Jesus taught called the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, verse 14 to 30. I'll leave it to you to read it through, but the core of it is it's a parable of the kingdom. And uh, there are a sequence of parables. So there's the parable of the servants, Matthew 24, the parable of the virgins and 25, and then now this parable. So the parable of the virgins terminates with the marriage supper. It, it ends with the marriage supper of the lamb, five enter because they have oil, five are left out or excluded because they haven't done the preparation work. Uh, and now it goes on from there into and adds in something else. It now adds in the prospect of ruling and reigning with Christ. So the parable of the virgins Uh, introduces intimacy, the marriage celebration, the parable of the talents, introduces now ruling with Christ. And so the story is very, very simple. A man goes to a far country, calls the servants to deliver his goods, and to somebody gives five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability, then goes on the journey. After he's been on the journey a long time, he comes back, he calls them all to give a count, and the one who had gained five Brings his uh, talents and he trades with them, made another five. And uh, then he, he, uh, we have the, the one who had five traded and made another five. The one who had two traded and made two. The one who had one buried it in the ground. And then he came back and reckoned with them. And the one who had five said, I've got five more. And he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The one who had two talents comes. Uh, You gave me two, I've got two, I've done 100% like the other guy did. And he gets exactly the same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And then, of course, there's the one talent man. So just going through the story, uh, the man traveling to the far country, of course, represents Jesus. And he entrusts uh, his servants according to their ability. So uh, they're each given some talents and the talent was a very big sum of money. So in other words, we've had, we all have a precious entrustment given to us, which we must do something with. And uh, it says, according to his own ability. In other words, the master recognized different servants have different capacities. So uh, different ones have got abilities of different levels, different limitations. And so he assigns responsibilities accordingly. And uh, God gives everyone talents, giftings, abilities, but this is the opportunities that he has given to us. So regardless of our personal capacity, regardless of our ministry role, our task, our assignment, everyone is expected to be faithful with what's been entrusted and be productive. We'll put it another way. The opportunities God gives you are not only for your development, but also to show your heart loyalty and faithfulness to him, that you care about him and what he's interested in. And that's really the problem with that servant with one talent. He was only concerned about himself. Fear does that. It makes you focus on yourself. And your primary uh, framework for operating is what's in this for me. Okay? But the others, they, they, they had a heart that was faithful, a heart that loved the Lord, was faithful to him. And they knew that he, he would want to see a, a fruit for what was given to them. And that's true for every believer. Jesus has paid a price to save us. He's paid such a, given up his life, paid such an immense price for us to be saved. And so as a consequence of that, we should, in response of love, then have his interests in our heart. We should, what is he interested in? He's always interested in people. I tell you right now, he's always interested in people and people being loved and blessed and, uh, and benefited. So regardless of personal capacity, we're all expected to be productive it got nothing to do with your capacity, your background, your learning, or anything like that. And every believer, no matter what your capacity or entrustment, can earn the same commendation from the Lord. So the master comes and he settles accounts. And of course, that's referring to the Bema Seat of Christ. At the Bema Seat of Christ, he will settle accounts. He'll call each of us before him. And what he would be looking for is to give account of how we have served him in the course of uh, that period when he was absent. And you notice there the commendation then, well done, good and faithful servant. And that was the commendation given to the five-talent man who got five, the two-talent who got two. Both did the best they could. Both were hundredfold. They were hundredfold believers. In other words, if you go back to the parables of the uh, of the uh, sower and the seed, you realize that the hundredfold came with the guy who had the good and pure heart. So the master was full of praise. Well done. Uh, that means what you did brought me great pleasure. I have received great pleasure in what you have done. So you notice there that Jesus uh, uh, expresses his pleasure for what the servant has done. Secondly, he honors the kind of character he has. You may not have noticed this in reading this parable. Well done, good and faithful servant. So he he he, he affirms this. He affirms that he's good. That means to be excellent you have distinguished yourself you are a man or woman of honor so he says you are an honorable distinguished person you are faithful so he highlights their diligence their follow through in doing the tasks assigned to them in spite of the pressure the obstacles the the mundaneness and the temptations around it now that's a very big lesson for every believer whatever task whatever assignment you're given no matter how small don't look at it as a small thing, look at it as an entrustment and God is watching, not just that you did it, but how you went about doing it. And when we, when we have a spirit of worship, when our heart is surrendered to the Lord, then every task that we do, we bring his presence and blessing and favor into that task. It could be the simplest thing like making a cup of tea. Your cup of tea can bring blessing to people because of the joy you've done it with, the spirit of excellence you've done it with, the way you've made people welcome and 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 you know when you see someone who's who's got that love for what they do in their heart they love people through the through the task that they're doing you can tell the difference i remember being uh, in a place and they had a little uh, like a welcome a welcome dish or welcome basket. And the pastor looked at it and he said, I can't feel the love in that one. And uh, it, someone had just been a fill-in job to do it. And it's just, for them, it was just a task, quick, throw a few things on a plate. In comparison to the, the lady who was usually there who did it. And when she did it, it would like stand up and shout because it looked so beautiful, little touches and things. It was done with detail and excellence. And that's what should be in the kingdom. That's the way we should operate. And uh, I understand then, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That means you, you, you are, you're trustworthy and that you're willing to sacrifice to serve others. You're willing to lay down your own life in order that I might be benefited and others be benefited. So, of course, we see that the word servant there is the word that Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 27. You want to be great in the kingdom? Become a servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. So greatness in the kingdom is... Not your stature, your position, your ministry, the anointing, the miracles, or anything. Greatness is, do you carry the heart and activity of a servant, even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life. And then he says, you've been faithful over a few things. That means your assignment or sphere of responsibility was very small. So some people think that their life only counts or their work only counts if it's big or significant or impacts many people. But there's only a few people going to impact large numbers. The majority of work that's done is out of sight. It's the small task. It's the, the, the ordinary person behind the scenes making the bigger thing happen. And they may think, well, I'm not out there doing this or out there doing that. Nevertheless, their assignment, even though it's small in their eyes and the eyes of other people, it's important to God, so important, he will reward those who faithfully do it. So that means what a blessing that is for all of us, because that means that it doesn't matter really what your role is or what uh, what uh, you're called to do. It's the manner you do it is what God is looking for. Do you see the little everyday tasks? This I'm serving the Lord. This is my act of worship. I've given my day, my life. I presented my body to him, and now I'm letting his love and life flow into everything that I do. There's something like a river of life just flows to bless even the ordinary tasks. And I've seen people who did the car park and and they just stood out there in the cold and made people welcome and smile. And, and, and you go up to them and you can see the love and the joy and the servant heart in it. And I think, well, you know, they, they qualify for reward because with the capacity they have, they're turning this task into a river of blessing for people coming in. So it's a great inspiration, great challenge, that whatever your task, God is watching you. And then, of course, he says the rewards. Now he talks about the rewards. He said, well done, good and faithful, servant, faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. So you notice there that um, rewards that are received at at the judgment seat of Christ are based on our faithfulness here. So notice what he says here. I will make you ruler over many things. How about that? So look, you look and you say, well, I've only got a few things. I'm not really doing all that much. But you're doing it passionately. You're doing it with a love. You're doing it unto the Lord. You're doing it as a blessing to people. You're, you're letting the love of Christ flow through it. He says, I will make you ruler over many things. And see the generosity of Jesus. Few things now, many things in eternity. Few things now, many things. That means a multitude of things. It's out of all comparison. And now he introduces that we will rule. He said, I will uh, make you ruler over many things. So that means to put someone in charge or appoint them over an office. So in the coming millennial kingdom, there's a great realm of ruling with Jesus and administering his kingdom throughout all of this worth. Uh, There's going to be multitudes of layers and levels of tasks and jobs. Right now, you're qualifying for yours. And whatever you've got on your hand now, do it. So notice there, he introduces two aspects of reward. Number one, I'll make you ruler or give you ruling authority to serve and to advance my kingdom with authority and empowerment uh, over many things. And second, he says, enter the joy of the Lord. So that's a reference again to the marriage supper of the Lamb, I think. We have the joy. We know that he values our efforts. Our choices have mattered. And uh, so those who are faithful will enter into the joyful marriage supper of the Lamb. We will be with others. We will celebrate with him and we'll also share with him the joy of walking alongside him and advancing his coming kingdom. So, uh, so I think this is just a, so wonderful, so inspiring, so inspiring. Notice there, the key is uh, having a good and faithful heart. And uh, Jesus will reward our assignments no matter what the task is, no matter what the the size of the task. If you did it faithfully, God will commend you. The two talent man and the five talent man equal commendation. Even our smallest efforts won't go amiss. Uh, You you think no one saw you? Someone was watching. And so the way we orient ourselves is, Lord, today everything I do, I'm doing unto you. I want to do it really well. I'm asking for your life to flow through me and even little things. And so notice in Matthew ten forty-two, whoever gives even these little ones only a cup of water in my name, uh, in the name of a disciple, he shall by no means lose his reward. So in other words, he's saying that even the smallest act of blessing someone, God takes that into account. Uh, there's another scripture in Hebrews six ten, uh, and it says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you've shown towards his name. You have ministered to the saints and continue to minister. Notice there, he's saying it would be unjust if God overlooked and forgot what you did. Sadly, in church life, frequently, the uh, serving acts, the sacrificial acts, the generous acts of people are often overlooked and not acknowledged. And that can often lead to a a disheartenment and a a quitting. We we grow weary in the well-doing. But it says that God is not unjust. He will not forget your labor of love. He won't forget it. And he will acknowledge it. He will reward it. And uh, we know that Paul taught that uh, all of us must be diligent in knowing what the Lord, because we know the Lord watches us. So for example, he talks in Colossians 3, 23 to 24, whatever you do, talking to servants, whatever you do, do it heartily, do it with full heart, full passion, full joy. He says, knowing, he said, you're doing it to the Lord, not to men like pleasing men and being a, being a man pleaser, but knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the reward of inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. So when you know that everything I do is my act of worship to the Lord, if I have presented myself and my activities to him, then whatever I'm doing today, I'm doing as an act of worship. And so whatever I'm doing, even if the person mistreats me, the people are harsh or whatever, that's irrelevant. I'm doing it to the Lord. And as I do it to the Lord, we know that the Lord sees it all and will reward us. Frequently, people do transactional kind of things. They, well, he wasn't nice to me, so I won't be nice back. Well, that's a very carnal way of thinking. We, we want to understand that we do it heartily. So if you're going to do anything, do it heartily. Do it very well. And then, of course, we get to the last servant, and we find there, of course, that he experiences not uh, commendation or honor and reward. He receives rebuke and loss. And so he that received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know you to be a hard man you reap where you haven't sown, gather where you haven't scattered. I was afraid. So I went and hid your talent in the ground. But look, I got it. And the Lord answered and said, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew I reap where I didn't sow and gather where I didn't scatter seed. You should have put my money with the bankers and at my coming would have received back my own with interest. So, wow. What you got to look here is the heart of this man, the way he's thinking. And I knew you to be a hard man. So basically he's complaining that God is unreasonable and harsh, that his demands are very high, uh, that he requires too much. Uh, I knew. In other words, his perception, his way of seeing God was that God is excessively harsh and demanding. And that tells me he's been under someone harsh and demanding, perhaps a harsh, demanding parent, harsh, demanding boss. And he's projected his brokenness and, and anger towards God. And uh, the second thing he says, he makes the accusation, you've reaped where you haven't sown. So this is basically uh, accusing God that he requires more than he's actually given them, which is completely wrong. So uh, when people have got bitterness and anger in in their heart over how they've been unjustly treated, they tend to then look at God as being harsh and demanding and difficult. And then they kind of then make complaints or accuse him of withholding love from them. He said, I was afraid, so I buried it. So there's many reasons people bury their talents or bury what God has given them. It could be the fear of failing, the fear of being rejected. It could be shame. It could be difficulty. Think of the Christians you know that pull back and then stopped serving God, buried their talent because they went through difficulties or hardship, because they faced some opposition or because they just got worn down. Uh, so, So... Just the the stresses and difficulties and pressures that come with being a believer can cause people to just bury their talent, which means virtually I'm no longer active to the Lord. I may be coming to church, turning up, giving a little bit of an offering or whatever, But this is not the life God's called me to, just to come to a religious service and have a little bit of a conscience attendance so I don't feel like I'm bad. No, no, no. God's looking for wholehearted, passionate sons and daughters that love him and are exemplary and loving people. How about that? So this is what he says. This is how Jesus addresses that servant. Remember the other servant? He was called good. Well done. That's the commendation for what he did. Good and faithful. Now look at this one here. You wicked and lazy servant. And there are three things that, he, the, that Jesus brings against them. Number one, he calls them wicked. And that word is not like evil in terms of doing bad things or terrible things. It's the word aponeros in Greek, meaning to have a hurtful or negative influence on others. Now, think about that. You find someone's half hearted, they don't fulfill their commitments, they quit on the task halfway through it. They quit when there's pressure, all of those kinds of things. They demoralize leaders. They take the heart out of others serving. They actually are not a positive influence. If you're committed and diligent and passionate, you are a positive influence. But if you're half-hearted and reluctant, you have to be constantly rung up and followed through, and you never turn up, and you never really do the job well, and there's always something negative going on, this is actually having a negative influence. That's what that word means. So what he's saying to him is, Your influence is not a positive influence that would inspire and move people forward. You have a destructive, negative influence. And that's what leadership is about, of course, influence. Second thing he says, you're lazy. (laughs) He says, you're lazy. (laughs) You're just unwilling to put in the effort that's needed. So many Christians think, well, it's just all about the grace of God. Jesus did all the work. I don't have to do anything. Well, that's nonsense. Jesus did the work. Now he expects us to walk with him and serve him. And the work of ministry is hard work difficult work. It's very difficult work. It's a very hard work. And and so it requires we develop a diligent, um, a diligent mentality of hardworking mentality rather than a a lazy one. It says the soul of the slothful man desires much, but he has nothing. So you find a lot of Christians and they're wanting much. They're asking God for much, but they won't put in the necessary work in order to have it. Whereas it says the soul of the diligent will rule. You know, so, so these are some. So you notice, and then the third thing that Jesus says about him is he calls him an unprofitable servant, unprofitable, producing no benefits to the kingdom. Wow, how about that? What, a, what an assessment that he was having a negative influence. He was just unwilling and lazy and wouldn't get to business and do what it was needed. And he produced nothing really beneficial. Well, I've known over the years many people like that. Many people like that. And uh, so here's the thing. He lacked revelation or intimacy. He didn't really know God. There's no depth of relationship. He has a distorted view of God because he never let God work in his heart to shift that. And he failed to be faithful in his serving. And I, I just see this over and over and over. People just prefer to do their own thing, spend their time and money and energy on what they want that they feel good about. And so you notice there... A fearful, unbelieving heart caused them to avoid serving or avoid any personal risk whatsoever. He's focused on himself. So, what did he lose? What was the cost to him of that state? Uh, well, the first thing was a loss of opportunity. He says, "Take that talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents." So, the, Matthew 25:28. He lost the talent. So, what God had given him as a an, uh, as an opportunity to qualify. For great reward in the kingdom, the opportunity was removed from him. And that opportunity was given to the one who had 10. Well, of course, that's not very socialistic, is it? <laughs> it doesn't flow with socialism. Socialism would have taken the 10 and distributed them. No, 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 this is what he did. Jesus sees, Jesus is trying to bring our attention of the importance of being connected to him and being productive in him. And so he says, the one who, who was unproductive, I'm going to take what he had, and I'm going to give that opportunity to one who's very productive. The second thing is, he cast this unprofitable servant out into the outer darkness where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the second thing is, he becomes excluded from the marriage supper and celebration. Excluded from the marriage supper and celebration. Cast the unprofitable servant. There was no benefit in all I invested in him. There was no tangible benefit to the kingdom he will be cast into the outer darkness where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, really, Now that really raised the question, what is the outer darkness and what is the weeping and gnashing of teeth? So I'll, I'll just share a little bit on this. Firstly, there are some Christians who think that the outer darkness refers to hell and that this is a story whether they're saved or unsaved. That cannot be true. It just cannot be true. Here's two reasons why it can't be true. The first is, here's the first reason it can't refer to hell, because it says it calls it outer darkness Hell is described as a place of burning, so it can't be burning and dark at the same time. It doesn't make sense. The second thing is that our works do not qualify us for heaven; faith in the work of Christ does. So he's talking here about either reward or loss. So what then does it refer to? Outer darkness. Well, here yeah, it's very very simple. You've got to realize that uh, many times when we read these things, we read it through a Western culture rather than looking at the original culture. So if you look at the original culture and the context, the context of the last parable was what? It was the virgins that went into the marriage feast, the marriage supper. So what would what, that look like? Well, in the Hebrew wedding, the bride and the groom would uh, make their their vows or their covenant to one another. They would become betrothed. Then the groom would go away and he would prepare a place for his bride, and then at about the appointed time, she was aware of the time and the apocalypse, the she'd know the exact time, he would return and he would return at night and he would have with him his people that had lamps because it's dark, there's no street lamps. The only light they have is the one they're carrying. They would move, They would walk in a procession through the dark, come to the bride's home, the bride's all prepared, the bride's all ready, she's got a lamp all burning and she would accompany the groom and they would go back into the wedding feast, the doors would be shut that was the wedding feast. And so in the wedding feast, it's a house and it's full of light. It's full of uh, life. It's the sound of music, the sound of joy, the sound of laughter, the sound of of a meal, the sound of celebration. And so you're either in the light of the wedding feast or you're outside. And of course, there's no light. You're in the outer darkness or the darkness outside. So outer darkness refers to the conditions outside the banquet hall meaning exclusion from the celebration of the marriage feast. And you could only begin to imagine the grief of knowing that you were invited to something. And because you were unfaithful and careless and negligent, you now disqualify. And people who are in the same meeting where you put your hand up to get saved, they got saved in the same meeting, and they are in there and you are not. The devastation would be amazing. So that brings us to the next statement. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, verse 30. So what does that mean? Well, it's an expression that refers to two things. Number one, the weeping means deep sorrow or grief at the realization what I've lost. And I think when we don't have a revelation of the importance of eternal rewards, there's no sense of urgency to actually grow Pursue Christ, serve uh, passionately. But there will come a time when we'll be aware what we've lit, missed, and then there'll be tremendous weeping. So the, the weeping refers to deep grief and sorrow. The gnashing of teeth refers to anger. It's, it's an expression of anger. You, you find that in Acts 7 where it says they were angry or furious at Stephen and they gnashed their teeth on him. So gnashing of teeth refers to anger at being outside when you really <coughs> wanted to be inside. So it's not then the suffering of hell, it's rather grief and sorrow and anger at being excluded from the feast where there's laughing and celebration. We could be near and close to Jesus. We could be celebrating. Imagine being outside, hearing the joy. You're like being outside a party. You hear all the fun and the laughter and people are celebrating the lights and the music and everything. You're outside and being excluded. Man, the feelings of grief and sorrow. So when Jesus returns to bring justice to the earth, to establish his kingdom, some Christians will experience his coming with great joy and gladness and celebration. They were prepared, they were faithful, they enter in, and now not only then the celebration, they're now going to be acknowledged roles and responsibilities in the coming kingdom. Wow, the joy of that. That's what keeps you going. That's what keeps you moving forward. That's what keeps you persevering because you see the stakes are very, very high and they're very eternal. You imagine then Other Christians experiencing shame, regret, sorrow, exclusion, exclusion for what they were called to be a part of. They were called, but they were not chosen because they weren't faithful. How sad is that? So all believers need to develop a faithful and a loyal heart and take what we have and use it to the best of ability that we can. Now, there are other parables that talk about the uh, basis for rewards that open up. That's one of the very best ones. I encourage you to search through the parable on the pounds or mi- minors or minors in Luke 19, 11 to 27, where the focus there is not on uh, equal, um, equal faithfulness, equal reward. The focus on that one is that when someone's more diligent, they will gain more reward. And this teaching is very clearly there to show to us the importance uh, in our lives, uh, not just to being faithful, but being diligent to be productive for him. So we are run out of time. We've done our, just about done our hour, I think now. So uh, we need to just, oh no, we've got a bit longer. You want to do a bit more or a bit more? Okay, all right, then we'll go on a bit more. Okay, well, Luke 19. Let's do Luke 19, verse 11 to 27. And this is the issue of being diligent, having a diligent heart. That's, it looks similar, but it's actually very, very different to the other one. So in the parable of the talents, the faithful servants get positions of honor and glory in the marriage supper of the lamb. Unfaithful servants are excluded. Equal faithfulness, equal rewards. In this parable, the faithful servants are given the positions of honor and glory and authority in the kingdom. Unfaithful servants don't get responsibility and authority. And the the, the main teaching in this parable is greater diligence, greater rewards. So first one, equal faithfulness, equal rewards. Now greater diligence, greater rewards. That makes sense. Wouldn't you do that? (laughs) So God is very, very just. So uh, it's found in Luke chapter 19. So um, uh, in Luke 19, verse 11, they heard these things. He spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So he said, a certain nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom in return. He called 10 of his servants and delivered them 10 miners and said, occupy, do business till I come. He called the 10 servants and, uh, and, and gave them the miners. But his citizens hated him. They sent a delegation after him saying, well, I would have this man to reign over us. And when he returned, after having received the kingdom, he commanded the servants, who would given the money, called them that he might know how much every man had gained by training, trading. Then came the first one saying, master, your miner has earned 10 miners." He said, well done, good servant, because you are faithful over very little, have authority over 10 cities. The second came, saying, "Master, your miner has earned five miners." He said, "Likewise, you also be over five cities." Then the other came, saying, "Master, here's your miner. I put it away in a handkerchief. I feared you, because you're an austere man. You collect what you didn't deposit, you reap what you didn't sow." And he said to him, "Out of your own mouth, I'll judge you. You wicked servant! You knew I was an austere man, collecting what I didn't deposit, reaping what I didn't sow. Why didn't you put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest?" And he said to those at by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10. And they said, wow, wait a minute, he's got 10. And he said, I say to you, everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have what he has will be taken away. So let's go through that just uh, quickly in light of the time we have. First of all, a certain noble man is a noble man means a person of high rank. It obviously refers to Jesus Christ. Jesus has gone into heaven and uh, receive a kingdom. One day he will return literally physically as king of kings and lord of lords. Then he will call all the servants to account. And we're called to account at the bama seat of Christ. So the sequence, he returns, we're called to the bama seat of Christ. Then if we qualify to the marriage supper of the lamb and then empowered to rule with him in the coming kingdom. So notice there, 10, ten servants, 10 meaners. 10 is usually the number meaning all the servants, all the gifts. So it's reference to the fact that this is encompassing all the body of Christ over all eras and ages. Do business till I come. Everyone is commanded to be productive for Jesus. In other words, don't just hide your gift. Don't just be a quiet Christian. Be proactive in serving. And uh, how much each uh, had gained by trading. That word trading means literally to be engaged constantly in exchange and purchase. So It means this is our lifestyle, taking what God has given us and using it as best we can to advance His kingdom. So now again, the commendation. Let's go to the commendation and the reward. In Luke 19, 17, Well done, good servant. You are faithful over very little, have authority over ten. Now you notice there the same words, well done, good, faithful, but now he introduces authority over cities. And then the one who came second, Master, your minor has gained five minors. He said likewise, well done, good servant, faithful over little, you be also over five. So notice there, as we go through that, well done, good servant. He's actually commending them for being diligent. One earned 10. So you've been faithful over very little. You've labored. You've been very productive. So now you have authority over 10 cities. So in this case, in this parable then, there's an authority given to to have authority over 10 cities. Well, that's It's like a whole region, a whole region. So he's saying in the coming kingdom, there'll be different layers and levels of authority. And God wants us to qualify for that by our faithfulness and diligence. Now, second servant came, Will you be over five cities. He, did, uh, he started with the same that the other one came, but he's, he'd also been faithful, but he hadn't been so productive. And so his diligence and fruitfulness were less than the first and what he was given reflected that. And then finally, he says, he said, have authority over five cities. So you see then, greater diligence and fruitfulness, greater reward. Greater fruitfulness, greater diligence, greater reward. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad of that? That someone who's a slacker, someone who's unproductive, will not be acknowledged in the same way someone who's, would, who's committed their life, paid a price, sacrificed, done things in secret, overcome things in secret. Clearly, there's going to be a difference. Justice requires it, and the Bible teaches it. And uh, why was one more fruitful than the other? I think uh, uh, diligence is a big part of it, but, uh, because I don't think he could have done it any other way. But the diligence is not just working hard. That would have been there. I think the diligence is in his alignment with Jesus. In John fifteen five, he says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him brings forth much fruit. So I think it all comes back to our heart connection and our passion for the kingdom. John 15, 5. So, uh, so very much the teaching in this is greater diligence and fruitfulness, greater reward. But then what about the other servant, the one who had the one minor who did nothing, who hid it? Uh, he faces uh, not combination reward, he faces rebuke and loss. And it's uh, similar to the previous parable. He said, I feared you because you are an austere man. Again, he has a distorted view of the master, sees him lacking compassion, being hard. And that's many people's view of God They've never developed intimacy. Never come to know him. Never let God deal with their heart, and so they're projecting onto God what's not there. He won't take any risks serving. He just wants to keep everything hidden. He said, "It says I have kept the minor hidden away," so he preserved, but he didn't wasn't productive, or he was a consumer, not a producer. And sadly, today many Christians are like that. They bury or hide their gifts, or they put them in some other arena that will serve them but not use them to advance the kingdom of God. And uh, so they like to enjoy the benefits of Jesus. I like him to forgive me and bless me and heal me and provide for me, bring breakthroughs for me, but I don't want to give up my life to serve him and please him. So basically they enjoy the Jesus that benefits them and they have half a Jesus. (laughs) They don't have the other half where he's the king who's receiving a kingdom or will come back. They're not allowing him to rule by surrendering their life, Lord, not my will, but your will. So the master's rebuke, you wicked servant, you have a hurtful influence on others. And that's true of all Christians who are self-centered and consumers, they drain and demotivate others. Why didn't you put my money in the bank? Meaning, uh, if you have a gift or opportunity, why didn't you connect with someone who could show you how to make something of it? So not everyone's called to do a ministry or start a ministry, but we can connect with others and make what we have available with them And then together we can make a great result. So the consequence of that was his loss. Uh, He had a loss of opportunity and he lost his authority and position ruling in the coming kingdom. So Jesus then adds a little to this and we'll finish with this today. Everyone who has more will be given, but from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away. And Jesus repeats that about five different times. So everyone who has means... He's talking about having an ear to hear or any, put it this way, everyone who's responsive and has understanding and responds and does what God wants, more will be given to them. He'll have an abundance. So when you obey God and do what he's calling you to do, when you start to faithfully serve him and put into practice what you're learning, then more is given. It's in the doing that you qualify for the more. He says, he who doesn't have, who who actually hears the word of God, makes no response to it, uh, unresponsive to God, doesn't really understand the significance of it, then they may seem to be spiritual, but what they have uh, eventually will be taken away. So I've observed that if we don't respond to revelation by acting upon it, then we seem to lose that revelation and drop back to a lower level. So we've seen then in the two parables, equal faithfulness, equal reward, greater diligence, greater reward. And there's other parables and stories. There's two others I encourage you to read and look at. In Matthew 20, verse 1 to 6, which is all about the opportunity given. And then in Matthew uh, chapter 24 and verse 45 to 51, and you see there about the importance of being a wise or having a wise and understanding heart and knowing what to do at the right time. So we'll finish with uh, with it at this point and finish up our study. Bless you.